Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And in North Carolina, the water keeps rising. We haven't seen the worst of it yet. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Hello, hello, hello on a Monday, Monday, September 17. So good to see you today. Welcome to the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Booming out to you all across this great land of ours, all around the globe, indeed, with the news of the day. Hope you had a good uh, weekend, able to kick back, relax, unless you were in uh, Florence territory, and then you had a hellish weekend. Uh, we're coming to you live again from our nation's capital with the news, pardon me, of the day and joining you every way we can, uh, every way we can reach you, every way we can join you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you as well on uh, radio uh, out in Indiana on Indiana Talks and statewide in um around the greater Chicago area, I'm sorry, on the great WCPT and joining you on Free Speech TV. Yeah, the big stories of the day, Florence, uh, rescues underway, still hundreds and hundreds of people rescued uh, from their homes, from rooftops, from the top of their cars. Uh, 17 is the latest uh, death toll count that I have seen, uh, and that will continue to rise, of course. On the other front here in Washington, Brett Kavanaugh suddenly uh, could be in a lot of trouble with this latest um, a, a piece of um, information, a letter from a woman in California who accuses him of sexually assaulting him back when he was a teenager. They were both teenagers uh, out in Montgomery County. Will that derail his nomination? Will the White House withdraw his nomination? We'll talk about that. And uh, also... Paul Manafort, surprising the hell out of Donald Trump. Paul Manafort, by uh, pleading, uh, breaching a plea deal with special counsel Robert Mueller, where he agrees that he will tell everything he knows about anything Donald Trump had to do with Russian operatives during the campaign. Big news and bad news for Donald Trump. All of that coming up, and you are going to want to sound out on all of it. We know that, so send us your comments on Twitter. At BP Show. But first, 
This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I, I don't yes. know how you do this, but you have, you follow Donald <laughs> Trump on Twitter, and you have the notifications. Whenever he tweets, you get a notification on your phone that says Donald Trump has tweeted. Drives me crazy. Yeah, this morning, there were like 20 from Donald Trump before I even got out of the shower. It honestly looks like hell to me. But everybody else is soon going to be able to experience that same level of hell because FEMA has been working on a presidential alert system. This is not a joke, by the way. People thought this was a joke on online over the weekend. This is not a joke. On Thursday, the Federal Emergency Management Agency will do a test of the presidential alert system. It will send a message to your phone. Doesn't matter if you follow Donald Trump like or not. An Amber Alert. It's it's like an Amber Alert. That's sort of what they compared it to. You know, you can opt out of it, but you got to go in and you got to turn certain settings off. But it's essentially a version of an emergency alert system, but it's going to have a direct line to the president of the United States. In this case, it would be Donald Trump. So if anybody else wants to experience that special level of hell that you do. Just wait, because Thursday we're going to get the test, and then who knows? He'll be able to send out alerts whenever. Yeah, this is exactly what they do in banana republics, right? Yeah, yeah. This is dictatorship. This it, is absolute dictatorship. I mean, I don't want to sound like we're no. going overboard with it, but yeah, just but. imagine with this guy, like, how hair-trigger he is on just saying anything that comes into his brain. And that now he has the ability to send that directly to your phone. I don't like it. No, you should. Yeah, no, you should sign up if you want to follow him on Twitter. But otherwise, these should not be bothered. I think that's. I think that's right. I think you should have the option to, to opt out of it. So. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump said he would never flip. He's his buddy. He's going to remain loyal. Yeah, that's what he said a couple of weeks ago about Paul Manafort. But now he has flipped. He has made a deal with uh, Robert Mueller. And we haven't heard a peep from Donald Trump about Paul Manafort ever since. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great Monday. Good to see you today. On this Monday, September 17, 2018, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show. We really appreciate your being with us today. Uh, and I have a lot to talk about, a lot to share with you, and we want to hear from you, of course, what you think about all the news of the day, whether it is the latest on Hurricane Florence, which is no longer hurricane, now a tropical depression, but still exceedingly dangerous. They've never seen flooding like this in North Carolina uh, that's where it's particularly hard hit. The Carolines, both of them uh, suffering incredible rain levels and incredible flooding like, again, they have never seen before. And it ain't going away. The rain continues and the rivers haven't really totally crested yet. Also, we'll be talking about the latest. Paul Manafort, yeah, reaching a plea deal with Robert Mueller uh, before his second trial, which would have gotten underway today. A Manafort saw the writing on the wall, 30-plus years in prison, figured he'd better make a deal while he can, which sort of uh, means uh, that presidential pardon that President, President Trump had been dangling, yeah, kind of meaningless now, isn't it? 
and um, Paul, uh, Brett Kavanaugh in serious trouble, looking more and more like Clarence Thomas, although the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh are even um, more serious than they were against uh, Clarence Thomas. So all of that to talk about. And again, you uh, are our most important guest. We want to hear from you what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Yeah, the latest on Hurricane Florence. Uh, the latest death toll as of now, uh, latest we checked, 17 dead, um, including a tragic, tragic case of a mother and her uh, infant, toddler, infant just being crushed by a tree falling on their house down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, the flooding has gone, it's like a 500-mile area. Wilmington is totally, city of Wilmington, North Carolina, totally isolated. Uh, the flooding has spread from Wilmington all the way to Charlotte and then all the way inland to Asheville. I mean, we've been to Asheville so many times, one of our favorite cities, and you didn't think about being on the coast when you're in Asheville. You're, you're not. There's a beautiful river running through it. but um, the, I mean, it's western North Carolina. You don't yeah, really expect yeah. to get a lot of no. hurricane activity there. No, no, not at all. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really incredible. We heard from the mayor of Wilmington, um, Bill Sappho, uh, who says that um, it, you think it's bad now? It's going to get even worse. The flooding is only going to get worse. The river has not crested and will not crest till possibly Tuesday. Think about that. So this storm hit, what, Friday, late Friday, Saturday? Uh, Friday really is when it hit. And by that time, it had been reduced to a tropical storm. But, you know, those terms are, like, almost meaningless anymore. You know? This is something we've been talking about, right, for the past week because— If it were a hurricane, still, it couldn't be any worse. Right, exactly. I mean, it, there's there's an old sort of—the the category <laughs> system that we use for hurricanes is actually a little outdated now because these storms are becoming so huge. And, again, I'll, I'll mention with Hugo, right, which was a Category yeah. 4 storm that hit South Carolina when I was a kid— it was not that big of a storm by comparison. The winds were very strong, but it blew through practically overnight. Right. I mean, it started yeah. uh, at and night, and then by you know midday the next day, it was gone. And Florence has moved in, and she is staying there. We just heard the mayor say that. So again, the storm hit Friday, and the worst of the water levels won't come until tomorrow. They're expecting it. So there are still homes that may not have flooded yet. There's so much flooding already and homes destroyed. People have had to be rescued. But that, but there's still homes that may still be intact. But they're not safe. There's more flooding coming tomorrow. It's not the winds. No. Right. It's the flooding. It's the flooding. The uh, governor of North Carolina has been on the job for the last two weeks, Roy Cooper, again says, I haven't seen anything, never saw anything like this. We're seeing epic flooding in North Carolina. This is a state that has been used to floods, but we've never seen floods like this and this widespread. And his comments echoed by Norman Bryson, who is the head of emergency services for the state of North Carolina. We have tremendous amount of storm surge and flooding that has gone in around our county. We've actually hit, hit record level flooding, uh, over 25, 27 feet of flooding in our rivers. And That's it, amazing. That is, yeah. 25 to 27 25 feet? To, yeah. I mean, you know, you look at a river and then think of it 25 feet higher. 
So they, one of the things they were talking about was specifically the Cape Fear River, uh, which I, I've been across many, many times. There, I mean, it's a large river. You have to go mm-hmm. over it. I mean, it's a pretty sizable bridge that you have to go over to get over Cape, the Cape Fear River in certain areas. And to think that that has come up that high is terrifying. And the video they saw last night on ABC News, I mean, roads, Highway 95, right? Yeah. Blocked. Yeah. Just blocked. Well, that's one uh, of the places. Many, I, many sections of it. That's yeah. one of the places that you go over Cape Fear River. Oh, really? Several yeah. rivers in North Carolina as you go down 95. And there are many, over. many roads. The roads are just, they're not underwater. They're just destroyed. Roads washed away. It's bridges crazy. washed away. It is going to take a long, long time to recover from that. Uh, by the way, uh, the emergency crews have done and done an incredible job down there. They've come in from uh, all over. Uh, I learned that my uh, my nephew up in Delaware put together a team of uh, volunteer fire firefighters, and they got their their equipment, their boat, and took off down nice. there to help uh, to help uh, the, the people of uh, of North Carolina. Uh, and on the scene is uh, the great chef Jose Andres, who was uh, <clears throat> yes. Even though FEMA could not get to Puerto Rico, even though Donald Trump said, ah, you can't get down there because it's an island surrounded by water, big water, Jose Andres got down to San Puerto Rico and served over 3 million meals to people of Puerto Rico. He is in North Carolina, set up his kitchens down there. I forget the name of his organization. but World Central Kitchen. World Central yeah. Kitchen, and they do an incredible job, incredible job. He's at five different shelters down there. Uh, providing meals and said he's going to be there as long as he's got to be there. So good for him, man. He's uh, hell he's, yeah. Oh yeah, he's my uh, he's my hero. Meanwhile, here in Washington D.C., yeah, boy, blo- what a blockbuster! Uh, the at the end of last week, we talked about this a little bit on Friday. There were rumors about a letter that Diane Fein, Senator Diane Feinstein from California, had received from a woman in California. Um, with some troubling ac- accusations about uh, Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court. All we knew is that uh, it was troubling and that Senator Feinstein had submitted this letter to the Department of Justice to see if they felt that it deserved action. Well, since then, and she kept the identity of that woman, uh, plus the contents of the letter, uh, secret, her identity anonymous because that's what the woman wanted at that time. Uh, when more and more attention came to this letter, this woman, Christine Ford, came forward to the Washington Post. She had also submitted this letter to the Washington Post last summer and asked them to keep it uh, private as well. She came forward to the Washington Post and said, no, if this is going to come out, if this story is going to come out, I want to be the one to tell my story. And she did. And it is very, very troubling what she said, I keep using that word troubling, but it is, uh, about what she says happened between her and Brett Kavanaugh back when they were both in high school in nearby Montgomery County, Maryland. Yesterday, Anna Cabrero, uh, anchor on CNN, reads the gist of the letter um, as received by Senator Feinstein and the Washington Post. Here's the account of Christine Ford read by Anna Cabrero. Brett Kavanaugh physically and sexually assaulted me during high school in the early 1980s. He conducted these acts with the assistance of Redacted. Both were one or two years older than me and students at a local private school. 
The assault occurred in a suburban Maryland area home at a gathering that included me and four others. Kavanaugh physically pushed me into a bedroom as I was headed for a bathroom up a short stairwell from the living room. They locked the door and played loud music, precluding any successful attempt to yell for help. Kavanaugh was on top of me while laughing with Redacted, who periodically jumped onto Kavanaugh. They both laughed as Kavanaugh tried to disrobe me in their highly inebriated state. With Kavanaugh's hand over my mouth, I feared he may inadvertently kill me. Wow, that is very, very chilling indeed. Uh, that is the account of Christine Ford. Brett Kavanaugh immediately put out a statement saying this never happened. I never did this in high school. I never did it since. And that is where the White House stands today. Uh, they they've, um, st stand behind Brett Kavanaugh's one-sentence denial. Republicans on the committee, of course, are saying, oh, this is no big deal. Uh, and this happened so long ago. And why? How dare the Democrats just drop this at the very last minute? Their their big, uh, their big uh, complaint, their big line of attack, I guess, is attacking Diane Feinstein for not releasing it earlier. Let's be clear about one thing. Yeah, maybe she should have released it earlier. Maybe she shouldn't. Uh, the woman who wrote the letter asked her not to. Senator Feinstein was respecting uh, her wishes. But the point is, the timing of this doesn't matter at all. That's not the issue. So what? The timing came out, if the letter came out at the very last minute. What does it say about Brett Kavanaugh's character? And what does it say about the fact that he obviously knew this was going to come out and he hid it from the committee and the committee knew it was coming out and they hid it from the public? I mean, right after this letter was released by the Washington Post, Chuck Grassley, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, released a letter signed by 65 women saying what a great guy Brett Kavanaugh was. That letter just didn't pop up spontaneously. They had that letter ready to go. They knew this other thing was going to come out, and they were ready with that letter, and they released it automatically, which, I mean, I smell a rat here. I smell a big rat. They knew that this, there was this allegation against Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh knew he had done it, in my opinion, knew it was coming out, had told them, and so they were ready for it. And if it came out early, if it came out late, doesn't matter. They were ready for it. They were ready to uh, to 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 um, with their counterattack. So don't get confused by this question about when the thing. Let's look at the substance of the allegation. The substance of the allegation, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, this is like Anita Hill," and there are echoes of Anita Hill, in that Clarence Thomas was sailing through until Anita Hill came forward, and then Barbara Boxer and some other female members of Congress marched over to the Senate and demanded that the hearings continue and that the Senate Judiciary Committee, all men, by the way, I believe all white men at the time, um, that they extend their hearings and they hear from Anita Hill and let her come and tell her story. Well, you talk about what Anita Hill talked about. I mean, what Anita Hill accused Clarence Thomas of was bad enough. It was sexual um, harassment, talking about, the Coke and the and the dirty you know the porno movies, movies yeah. that he had seen all that kind of stuff. This was this is more than sexual harassment. This is sexual assault. This is Access Hollywood sexual assault. This this is a crime which she's talking about there, much more serious. And so 
But what are the Republicans going to do about what they really should do about either Donald Trump should withdraw his nomination or at the very, very least, the Senate Judiciary Committee should not rush to a vote this week, which Chuck Grassley is determined to do. The Senate Judiciary Committee should step back, take the time, bring this woman in, hear from her and let. Brett, let Brett Kavanaugh give his side of the story, but not rush to a vote. And so far, at least one Republican senator, Jeff Flake, has said he is, who's a member of the committee, who, who, by the way, if he does not vote for him, could derail the entire— Screw the whole thing up. Screw the whole thing up. Brett, uh, Jeff Flake has said he is not ready to vote, and he does not believe they should vote until we hear more from this woman. Two other senators, uh, Bob Corker and Lindsey Graham, have said they would like to hear more, but they still think the vote should go forward, which is CS, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. on the on, and not unusual on the part of those two, you know, who always talk tough and then roll over. Uh, and we haven't heard anything but from, uh, well, the, the other two senators that, that are really in question, again, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, Although Susan Collins, the only comment that she made about it is criticizing Senator Feinstein for not releasing the letter earlier, which, again, is a tangent. That's not the issue. That's where they want to go. That's where they want us to go uh, instead of dealing with the substance of the accusation. Uh, this is serious. It should it should derail. I think it should kill the Brett, Navinal, Brett Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, I just tweeted this out a little bit earlier today. This is serious, serious stuff. Uh, especially in the light of this Me Too movement. Now we have a sexual predator in the White House. Are we really going to put another sexual predator on the Supreme Court? Is, is that where we are today? Is that how little we think of these kind of accusations, that we make light of them that way and, and just dismiss them like we did in November 2016 for Donald Trump? Now we're going to do it for Brett Kavanaugh? I would hope not. You know, there's a lot of outrage on the conservative side here about, oh, the timing of this is so poor. Mm -hmm. Oh, this was so long ago and all that. And just imagine if they had the same amount of outrage for the fact that, like, the woman was sexually assaulted. I should say uh, the girl at the time. She was a girl. Yeah. They were in high school. Uh, Like, just imagine if they had that much bandwidth for outrage for actual sexual assault than just playing politics. Yeah. I mean— Okay, it happened when he was in high school. I think assaulting a woman when you're in high school still counts. Absolutely. Still and should count. And I think that's serious enough to deny you a seat on the Supreme Court. I mean, why do we have to go make excuses for this? There's nobody else that could serve, right? You know, that's exactly it. It's just making excuses. Yeah, right. Which is like the time for that is long gone. Uh, and uh, and also, if, if we could imagine if this were a um, a nominee of Barack Obama's, oh my God, or or Hillary Clinton, had Hillary she won the Clinton? election? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. This would be, I mean, it would be over for that person. And the other thing that really does stick in my crawl again, I mentioned it, but just to, just to free, is they knew this was coming. They knew all about this. They knew it was coming. It was not a secret to them. They tried to ram this nomination through without and, and keep that a secret. 
and they were ready for it because they knew it might come out, but they, and they were ready for it. They'd known about it, and they lied about it. They lied about it. They lied about it. They tried to cover it up. You know, it's, that, that, that I letter, think, that letter that came out. Th- that, I think, is the point here because we've talked for weeks now about how they're going to try and ram this nomination through, and they don't want to have actual due process. They're withholding documents. They didn't have, you know, a long uh, 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 series of testimony from Brett Kavanaugh. They're just pushing it through as fast as they can. And you have to wonder, why? Why would they do that? And it looks like we now know why. Because of these type of allegations. Ruth Marcus has a great column in the Washington Post this morning where she points out that way back in the Anita Hill days, there were some, there was still some un, uncertain, unknown how people, how senators were going to vote. And it was Robert Byrd who got on the Senate floor and he said, look, this issue has come up. And it's basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but because uh, I don't have the column in front of me. And it's sort of like he said, she said, and there's a lot of doubt. He had acknowledged there's still a lot of doubt about this accusation, again, which I repeat was sexual harassment, not sexual assault, much more serious with Brett Kavanaugh. But Robert Byrd at the time said, but if there is a doubt, then I think we should give the benefit of the doubt to the court and to the country and not to Clarence Thomas. Uh, There are more important things at stake here. Uh, And that's the case here, too. We'll see how that plays out today. Uh, but uh, I hope, I hope, I hope that this means at least, again, a delay to give this woman a chance to make her case here in public. Uh, In the meantime, some big news on the Robert Mueller front and some bad news for Donald Trump. Yes, he was was hailed. Donald Trump hailed Paul Manafort as his hero, the one guy among them all who is not just going to roll over for Robert Mueller, he was going to stand up to Robert Mueller and and defend Donald Trump right to the very end. And, of course, it was always implied there that if you do, Paul, don't worry if you get prison because I'll take care of you. I got the pardon power over here. That's why he'd pardon so many other people um, who really didn't deserve a pardon, political friends, just to show Paul Manafort if he could do it for them. He could do it for Manafort as well. Well, Paul Manafort. Pulled the rug out from under Donald Trump on Friday, as we predicted Friday morning might happen. He, in fact, did reach a deal with um, the uh, special counsel uh, where he not only pleaded guilty to um, lob- violations of lobbying for the for this uh, Ukrainian uh, Russian oligarch in Ukraine and for the former president of Ukraine, uh, Mr. Yakanovich, but Manafort agreed to cooperate with Robert Mueller across the board on everything. He agreed to cooperate. Here are the terms from the agreement. Cooperate fully, truthfully, completely, and forthrightly regarding any and all matters that the special counsel wants him to talk about. That means, boom, open door. And if there's anybody that knows where the bodies are buried, it is Paul Manafort. Look, Paul Manafort, when he came in, he didn't have to reach out to any Russians. He brought the Russians in with him. He was in bed with the Russians. He'd been dealing with them. He'd been taking their money. He'd been laundering their money for years. Paul Manafort was that. that was, And you know damn well that when he became part of the Trump campaign, 
he brought those Russians, not only brought the Russian connections with him, but he connected them with Donald Trump. So obstruction of justice are two things, remember, Robert Mueller's considering. Obstruction of justice and collusion. Well, obstruction of justice, you don't need Paul Manafort. I mean, we have seen, <laughs> we have seen Donald Trump obstruct justice in public, firing James Comey kissing Vladimir Putin's ass in Helsinki, on and on and on, trying to fire Jeff Sessions, telling Jeff Sessions he had to drop the, drop the, the, the investigation, calling it a witch hunt, on and on and on. But collusion, you need somebody inside who can say, yeah, these meetings took place, these conversations took place. There's nobody, nobody who knows more about that than Paul Manafort. And I love it when Rudy Giuliani immediately came out and said, well, th yes, Manafort has reached a plea deal, but this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It's totally independent. It's nothing to do with Donald Trump. Wait a minute. Paul Manafort was Donald Trump's campaign manager. He was campaign manager for Donald Trump. What do you mean it's nothing to do with Donald Trump? My favorite, my favorite and was- And Rick Gates was the deputy yeah. campaign manager my for Donald a, Trump. A couple of weeks ago when, uh, the fir when the f Manafort was uh, convicted the first time around, and Donald Trump goes, oh, yeah, Paul Paul Manafort, a former Bob Dole staffer. Oh, yeah. like, come on, man. No, <laughs> come, come on. But this is this is hugely, hugely significant again because and, – and so not only because of who Paul Manafort is and what he knows, but there are a couple of other things that came out. One is that uh, as part of this agreement, it was revealed, and Rudy Giuliani even admitted that – Coming into this trial, Manafort's defense attorneys and the Trump defense team had reached a mutual defense agreement, meaning they were they were cooperating with how to respond to Mueller. It was a sort of they were setting up a joint operation to oppose and to respond to the Mueller investigation. Now, <laughs> two things. Certainly, um, whatever agreement they had is meaningless today does it, because one party to the agreement has caved. But the other thing is, what did they talk about as part of this defense agreement? Did, in fact, Donald Trump say or his attorneys say, yeah, let's work together, and, of course, a pardon is part of this deal? If that's the case, I mean, that's... That's real obstruction of justice. Uh, and the other thing that I think is important to remember here, okay, so now who do we got? We got, in order, George Papadopoulos, Michael Flynn, Michael, uh, Michael Cohen, uh, and Rick Gates, and now Paul Manafort, all of whom have reached a plea deal with Robert Mueller. Who's left? That's the, that's the interesting Who's part. Left? Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Donald Trump himself. And then maybe you could add Roger Stone. Sure. Yeah. But I'd say those four. So, it's just been a slow build. It's been a slow build. And Mueller is closing in and closing in and closing in. And uh, we don't know who's next. But Paul Manafort's out of the way. And as Adam Schiff said yesterday, it just proves Manafort is an immovable force. Man, he's just moving right through. Muller, yeah. Muller is. Yeah. Or, or Mueller. Moving right through. Yeah. 
uh, and anybody that gets in the way eventually is going to fall. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you know what? I mean, as you mentioned, the collusion is right out there in the open. I mean, we've seen it, right? But will anybody do anything about it? Yeah. Robert Mueller will. Robert Mueller will. Absolutely. Yes. And so with this, uh, the latest on Brett Kavanaugh and what we heard about Les Moonves last week, more and more attention to the uh, implications of this, the Me Too movement and what's going to happen uh, to some of these people. Tom Spiegel, uh, head of the Spiegel Law Firm, has been with us before uh, to talk about this. He's an expert in these matters with his firm. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Tom Spiegel joins us uh, to bring us up to date on what he thinks the latest is and what, what we can expect in terms of um, maybe a legal response to this. Coming up next on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, September 17, uh, The Bill Press Show, coming to you live again from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the USCW, under Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. Uh, you uh, go to any one of our great grocery chains and those people who are stocking the shelves and assisting you and checking you out, all members of the UFCW. We salute them, thank them for the support uh, of the program. Uh, as we mentioned just before the break, uh, on top of Les Moonves last week, now comes uh, sex, uh, allegations of sexual assault against uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, there are so many cases of this popping up. The Spiegel Law Firm in Virginia deals uh, almost exclusively with this. Tom Spiegel is the founder who joins us in studio. Tom, it's good to see you again. Thanks for having me, Bill. Good to be back. Thanks for coming in. Before we uh, jump into it, we've been at it for a little bit just talking about the other news of the day. Yes, indeed. Uh, generating a few comments, Peter. Let's go to Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And shout out to, uh, we got a bunch of new tweeters this morning. Good. For whatever reason, we appreciate that, and we want to get you involved. Just find us on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, Stevie Welcome. says, Welcome. yeah, about uh, Manafort. He says, I think Mueller will indict the WikiLeaks group and those involved with the email theft and dissemination before he goes for Junior and the rest. Oh, also, well, it's possible. Possible, sure. But that doesn't mean Junior and Jared are off the hook. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. We'll, get to the, we'll get to them. Uh, Doc says, Bill, you haven't mentioned Ivanka in your list of criminals. <laughs> Again, let's just let the Mueller trial happen. We'll see. Uh, and Dominic says, I think Manafort is primarily going to protect his family from Russia. Also, on the Kavanaugh stuff, which I know we're about to get into, Holly said, uh, Holly uh, on Twitter says, for Clarence Thomas, the Republicans <clears throat> chose sexism over racism. They are still sexists. Not only should Kavanaugh not be elevated to the Supreme Court, he should be impeached for perjury. And KG says they are pushing Kavanaugh so hard so that he can keep Trump out of jail. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Uh, as always, our uh, viewers uh, have uh, great insights into the news of the day, uh, and we appreciate uh, hearing from you again on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. So, Tom, um, are these charges uh, against Brett Kavanaugh serious? Oh, they're absolutely serious. I mean, if true, they would constitute criminal sexual assault. Um, you know, the, <clears throat> the statute, More serious yeah. than the uh, accusations against Clarence Thomas way back when? 
Well, I, I mean, I, obviously they were both very serious, and uh, I, I don't would be reluctant to, to characterize one over the other. I will say, as a legal matter, they would be more serious, right? You know, because the charges against, uh, I mean, the allegations against uh, um, Clarence Thomas were of a hostile work environment, not actual touching. Here we have allegations of actual, actual physical assault. Uh, yes, right? physical assault um, that would be be criminal in addition to to civilly unlawful. So in that sense, they are much yeah. more, if true, they are legally much more serious charges. Right. Um, how about what some people are saying? Well, this happened so long ago. Uh, he was in high school. After all, didn't we all act up in high school? And and this, the, the, the statute of limitations or whatever has passed. Yeah. Well, you know, and we see this a lot, right, that um, uh, in a number of these sexual assault, sexual harassment stories where women do not come forward. And really, it's, uh, you know, since um, just recently with some of these high profile stories, we're seeing a lot of these women come forward um, with with allegations of things that happened years, sometimes decades ago. And they tell tell very moving stories of why they didn't come forward before. Because they were afraid they were going to be uh, either completely dismissed and disbelieved or, or um, alternatively pilloried in, in the press if it was somebody real high, high, high profile. So yeah. the fact that it is an old uh, – happened some time ago is materially important. Um, I used to I used to be a federal prosecutor in D.C. and did some sexual harassment, a lot of sexual, ra- means, uh, sexual assault charges, and it was not uncommon for women – to be reluctant to come forward for this very reason. So I don't find that particularly uh, material here that it is that it happened some time ago. Well, I guess there are two levels we have to look at this. You know, one is, pardon me, the criminal prosecutorial level, and the other is the political um, confirmation to the Supreme Court level. Sure, sure. So on the criminal side, could he be still uh, subject to criminal prosecution under for for if proven? True. Probably not. Um, it depends on the statute of limitations and where this okay. where this happened. Montgomery, I'm guessing Ma- Montgomery, Montgomery County. County. Right. And uh, um, and I am guessing that the statute of limitations has passed on this. Um, although we have seen some states really um, abolish statute of limitations or move, treat these more like homicide, uh, you know, mm-hmm. charges where there is no statute of limitations. So right. my my suspicion is that it would be. Either the statute of limitations have passed, and even if so, that this would be a difficult case, not to say that they, a prosecutor wouldn't bring it, but it would be a difficult case to bring as a criminal matter and prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, and then for um, on the Supreme Court side, again, this happened so long ago, do you think that still uh, can be used as a as a test of the character or, a, 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 you know, a kind of a window into the character of Brett Kavanaugh and held against him. Well, of course. Right. I mean, this is a, um, a man we're talking about having a, a lifetime appointment to the most powerful court, maybe the most powerful political body in, a, in our nation. And, you know, so not only is it is it is it something to, that goes to his character, but there is an important I mean, the Supreme Court. Uh, in large part, has the power that it does because we allow it to have that power. We have faith as a country. We have traditionally had faith in that institution to be somewhat apolitical and uh, and and to do the right thing. And whether or not, you know, let's assume he is an otherwise an upstanding man and, and not a bad guy, whatever you want to say about him, this is now out there. 
and it it's going to be hanging over him forever, whether it is true or not. And so it really will impact the court and how people view it and its legitimacy, which is equally as important. I just want to throw in uh, this this uh, breaking this morning. The lawyer for the Cav- for Kavanaugh's mm-hmm. accuser, her name is Christine Ford, uh, says that uh, her client is willing to testify publicly before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is a really big deal because that means that we will get to hear her story. Well, if Senator Grassley gives her if they allow a he- it. allows a hearing, if they allow it, if they schedule a hearing. Uh, her lawyer is Deborah Katz, yes. uh, a woman who, who's based here in Washington, D.C., whom That's you right. know. That's she, right. Yeah, f- a fantastic lawyer. She's with Katz, Marshall, and Banks, one of the founding attorneys mm-hmm. over there, and has really become, in many respects, the legal face of the Me Too movement. Uh, and she is um, she is a she is a fantastic lawyer. Can't say enough good things about her. Right. So you re- you believe that these this allegation that the senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee must take it seriously, right? Right. right. So wh- how what should they do? They should have a hearing, right? Let's let. I mean, you know, as we were just discussing, like this is a, not only a matter of importance to to did it happen or not, did a cr- did a a criminal event happen or not, uh, uh, conducted by a man who's being appointed to the Supreme Court, right? Um, but it is important from a public perception, like the public has the right to know. Uh, they have a right to hear this out. And, you know, for, for a time when this story first broke, we heard some senators saying, well, you know, this might be different if the accuser came forward, if we knew who she mm-hmm. was. And right mm-hmm. now it's mm-hmm. anonymous mm-hmm. and it was so long ago. Well, she's here. Mm-hmm. And she has come forward very bravely and said, I'll sit in front of these hot camera lights and talk about what happened to me, which was very embarrassing and and put up with people saying things about me. And why did you wait? I'm, I'm here to do that. And I think we as a uh, as a nation and the Senate certainly owes it to to us and frankly, to um, to, to Judge Kavanaugh to let's 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 let this see the light of day. Uh, you've been this is your specialty of law of the law. Yes. If one woman comes forward like this, is she alone? What I mean, are the chances are that this is the only time this happened? It's hard to say. I mean, it's certainly possible that she's not, right? It is as we have seen. Isn't it like usually happen that one woman comes forward first and then, I mean, look at Les Moonves. Yes. It was six and then it was another six. Right, right. No, we have seen this recently, so it's entirely possible. I mean, I don't want to speculate on it. I mean, it's an, you know, it, one could see that this is doesn't excuse it. But no, that, right. that, that in a moment of, you know, drunken stupor at a party when you're in high school, you, one does this, but is not otherwise inclined to do that when sober and as he, as he grew into adulthood. So it's, impo- it's possible that this is, you know, this is a one-off, you know, one-off event for him. That doesn't, I'm not trying to minimize that or saying that it is not serious, but I guess we will see. And uh, as you mentioned we have seen recently where one woman comes forward and then it's a drip, drip, drip of more women saying, yeah, me too. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Right. Uh, would you, so far as we know, also, uh, Christine Ford has come forward. Um, the gentleman who was then a fellow teenager friend, I think his name, something Judge, Mark Judge, forget mm-hmm. his first name, mm-hmm. has said, no, this didn't happen. Um, I, 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 I was the one named. No, he, he denies it. And then this letter comes forward from 65 women who have known Brett Kavanaugh, not that they were at this party. Sure. And they said, no, he could never have done uh, anything like this. Uh, if you were trying to make a case, would you need more than this woman? 
No, you wouldn't. Uh, I mean, the, you know, sexual assault prosecutors win cases like this all the time when it is he said, she said. And to the point of having hearings, um, it, you know, you get to look at people. You get to hear them tell their story. And this is why we have trials. This is why we have juries, mm-hmm. because the cold record, when you're reading it, you know, either you're seeing it in a report on, on a news show or you're reading it in print is very different when you see somebody live talking about it and you can judge their demeanor and facial expressions. And Which all is why a hearing would be. Of course. Yeah. And, and, if, and, and he's got all these women who can come forward and speak on his behalf. Like, let Judge Kavanaugh have have his day in court, too. To, these are very serious charges. Um, he is owed the opportunity to um, to say his piece. Uh, yeah, and then the American people can watch, the senators can watch and exactly. decide whom they believe and whom they don't. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But on so this is at a level with so much publicity for most women, for most of these cases, right? It must be, the and your clients, it must be tough for them to what, what they have to put themselves through to come forward and, and with a story like this. And then to go before a judge and a jury right. and tell their story. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that takes a lot of courage to do that. It does. And, but the sad thing is, is that many of them never get to a judge and a jury. Uh, as much as it is difficult to do that, um, I think it would be cathartic for them to tell their stories and have a jury of their peers say up or down what happened. But a lot of these cases... Um, they they die at the summary judgment level, and that is meaning a, the judge says there's not enough information it, to go forward. Exactly right, and this happens all, in almost all of these cases, particularly in federal court. And so uh, these women are subject to the whims of the male, for the most part, male judges. Right? Exactly right, and and speaking of the importance of the judiciary and and Judge Kavanaugh and the role that he will play. Um, in this is he will be de- deciding issues of summary, you know, what the standard for summary judgment. And there has been now decades of law built up, mostly by men, um, about what should constitute a hostile work environment, what should constitute uh, uh, unlawful behavior in the workplace in particular. And, it, and as a result, it is, it is a high mountain to climb. And so a lot of women who you know, have the, you know, gin up their courage to come forward to tell their stories. They never even get to see a judge. They get shut down in a windowless room for a long deposition mm. by well-moneyed, uh, yeah, often right. powerful men with their very good lawyers who, you know, tie them down to these very statements, you know, tie them down to these, you know, just really pick apart their story. And uh, and then they these women risk losing at summary judgment which is uh, ties back into I think our, the last time we talked we were talking about non-disclosure agreements and how these 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 happen and a lot of times what happens is a woman comes forward with this you know I, I, you know an attorney like me who is advising her says look you I believe you I think you should have your day in court I think you have a very good chance of losing at summary judgment they've put some money on the table this may be the only justice you see mm, you know mm, but mm. To, when you take it they're going to want a non-disclosure agreement it's a really difficult it's a really difficult situation, uh, and, and the public should know that most of these cases die, at least in federal court, die in the dark. If, um, if, what she, if, what, if what she says is true, I just want to be sure. I think you heard her say this. I want to be sure. If what she says is true, in your judgment, would that disqualify, does that disqualify Brett Kavanaugh from the Supreme Court? I think unquestionably. I mean, if it's true— 
I mean, if it's true, even as a high school student, even as a true. high school student, I mean, it is criminal behavior. And um, yes, I'm not, you know, perhaps he should not go to jail for it. That would be for, you know, for the court system to decide. But I, I think he would certainly be disqualified from sitting on the highest court in the land. Um, I tweeted this out earlier today. I mean, to me, th- this it's bad enough that we have a sexual predator in the White House. But to have a sexual predator in the Supreme Court just seems to make a mockery of the whole Me Too movement. Absolutely, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, and just you know, for, again, there is the there is the matter of him as a man and whether or not he is entitled to this position or whether or not he qualifies for it. But I mean, there. I mean. Think about public perception and the women who will be bringing cases that will be decided by the Supreme Court. What does it say about us of a country if we say, oh, well, we'll give him a mulligan? You know, so long ago, he was young, he mm-hmm. was drunk, he made a mistake. You know, uh, we're, we're just we're, we're going to give him a pass. What does that say, you know, to all these women who are coming forward very bravely to tell stories when perhaps the defendants are saying the same thing. You know, oh, well, you know, it was poor judgment. It didn't happen exactly that way, but to the extent that it did, it was poor judgment. I didn't mean it. I'm not that kind of man. What does it say to them if we put a man like this on the court, assuming that it is true? Right. Uh, Tom Spiegel's with us from the Spiggle Law Firm. It's SpiegelLawFirm.com, S-P-I-G-G-L-E, SpiegelLawFirm.com. Um Let's talk about another case uh, that we've spent a lot of time talking about lately, and that is Les Moonves. So when you look at Roger Ailes, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Les Moonves, Jeff Fager, I think this is his yes, name from 60 right. Minutes, um, and that, that's just the beginning. I mean, what does it say about the entertainment industry it's got- uh, and this, these issues of sexual assault? That it's got a real problem that is that is deep seated and continues even after. I mean, right with Les Moonves. I mean, these were. It's not the first one, right? No, I mean, this, no this is one, one of a line. And we saw um, CBS, at least allegedly, like that they knew some of these details, and the board, you know, the board let him continue. Right. Uh, in his position. Even and NBC knew the story and wouldn't report it. Yes. I mean, so they're all in bed together. Right, right. And Washington Post, uh, some of the, the the reporting on Jeff Fager apparently <laughs> was, was uh, at least according to Ronan Farrow, when he was talking about his reporting, uh, that, that Jeff Fager's attorneys were very aggressive in trying to get that shut down. Um, and so it shows, that, I mean, imagine, imagine what has happened up until this point. Right. I mean, imagine what had happened up until this point with some of these stories getting buried and we see them yeah. you know, with the president for, getting, yeah, you know, decades, capturing for, kill, for decades. Right. And even now, even now, with all this momentum behind the Me Too movement and all these other instances, we have this instance with CBS really sort of appearing to sort of slow roll this. Some very serious allegations. Uh, it's it's really tough to fathom. But is it, the the other thing with with this particular story is is it's been proven over and over and over again as we've talked about it over the last year or so. Is these things rarely happen without some sort of help from whichever company, right? Like this was he people knew about this, and they kept it quiet, and they helped keep, you know cover it up and not say anything about it and not speaking up and so like that's this is the real danger uh with someone like that because when they get enabled like that they're not going to stop 
Yeah. Sure. Right. It becomes this, this sort of reinforcing web of people who are helping to keep this yeah. silent. But, what, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that some of this or a lot of this if not, happens like on Wall Street or in the defense industry or whatever. But so much of it, as we've seen in the entertainment industry, yeah. add Bill O'Reilly to the list. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, either big stars or big corporate chiefs in you know, Hollywood or, or New York. Is it just the men in power abusing their power? Uh, well, I think that's right. I think absolute power, you know, corrupts absolutely. And they, um, they just acted this way with impunity and clearly could get away with it. Um, and so, like you said, you get away with it a couple of times and you sort of figure maybe you're above it and immune and somehow you've convinced yourself you're entitled to this, you know, yeah. entitled to whatever you want, including other people. And uh, Les Moonves, for what we've been told, walks away with a golden parachute about of $120 million. Right. So, I mean, what price did he have to pay? Exactly He lost right. his job, but he doesn't have to worry. Right. He walks away a super wealthy man if that's, if that's what happens. Uh, it really is astounding that even when justice is done in this sort of situation, uh, the perpetrator, the very powerful men— the worst they get is, you know, they don't get to stay in their playground. They don't get to, they got to leave the playground, but they get to take their ball with them. You know, they get to take their money with them. And um, I was just thinking, down. none of these people that we just mentioned uh, have 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 suffered any legal consequences at all, right? At oh, the most, right. at the most, they lost their jobs. They, yeah, right. There no. Well, I, I guess there is a criminal investigation of him at this point. I believe in Los Angeles, so we'll see. Uh, oh, Les Moonves. Les Moonves. I believe that's correct. Um, so we'll see, but I think that's in large part true um, that they won't. There'll be no court hearings. It's just they lost their job. Uh, one person who lost his job, um, a United States Senator Al Franken, should he have lost his job? Should he have? Should he have resigned? Were the charges or the allegations against him serious enough uh, on the level of a Les Moonves or a Matt Lauer or Bill O'Reilly? Oh, clearly they weren't that as serious, right? Uh, they were serious charges in the sense that it was involved unwanted touching. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, what's good for the, what's good for the, well, I think it probably was right for him to step aside given the, the nature of the charges. And these are people in a, in a position of public trust um, and whether or not the charges or what happened arose to a criminal level or even a civil liability level. Um, and to the point with, 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 with Judge Kavanaugh, like once they are raised, once they are raised, can anybody trust you anymore, right? And that's what we as a country have to decide and the men in those positions have to decide. And I think what, what, what the senator decided is, you know what, like I contest these, but I understand that now this – I have, whatever reason, lost this position of trust, and I need to step aside. Uh, I want to ask you about someone that's totally unrelated to the sexual uh, yeah. harassment issue, and that is, as an attorney practicing here in this area, um, what is your take on special counsel Robert Mueller? Well, I mean, he's a fine prosecutor and certainly is doing his job very well. Um, you know, one can raise. Whatever. Does he have a good reputation in the in legal community? Uh, spotless, here? spotless reputation. I mean, you you know, I think 
we're talking about a Republican, first off, uh, we're, we're looking at partisan yeah. uh, partisan politics. But this is a uh, this is a man who has really come up through the ranks in the ju- in the judicial. I mean, in the in, as a prosecutor, um, he has he has served a, as a line prosecutor, prosecuting the most serious of charges. In fact, I believe when he came, if I'm getting this correctly, he came from another jurisdiction to D.C. at a fairly high level. Um, in the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. and chose to kind of take, not a step back, but at least go back to being a line prosecutor, prosecute homicide cases, mm-hmm. because the homicide, prosecut- homicide prosecutors in D.C. are some of the best in the country. And he chose to do that because he wanted he wanted to be mm-hmm. in the trenches. Yeah. And so he is known to be a real straight shooter, and he knows what he's doing. Uh, and tough. Tough, no question. Yeah. Right. I think we've seen that side of him. Absolutely. All right. Hey, Tom, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in today. Well, thanks for having thanks me on for the show. Your, thanks for your good work and all the good people that you represent. Uh, again, it's Spiggle Law Firm, S-P-I-G-G-L-E Law.com. is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yep, Florence is here, but Florence is not going away. And the worst, believe it or not, the as bad as it is now, the worst of the flooding not expected until tomorrow. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Monday. It is Monday, October, uh, September, let's make it. <laughs> September 17, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Great to see you today, and thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. Now ready to jump into uh, another big week with a lot going on. Big stories that we're covering today. Uh, The latest on what is now tropical depression. Florence really um, hammering both South Carolina and especially North Carolina. Meanwhile, uh, Paul Manafort, big surprise for Donald Trump. Interesting. Donald Trump hasn't said a word about Paul Manafort since he reached a plea deal with the special counsel Robert Mueller on Friday. Before that, of course, he was praising him as a guy who would never, never flip, and now he has. And Brett Kavanaugh in serious trouble, as we've just heard in the last half hour, uh, on allegations of sexual assault uh, from a woman, a California professor, Christine Ford, whose attorney said this morning she is ready to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee in a special hearing uh, to make her case against Brett Kavanaugh. Lots of news today. Brittany Shepard is a staff writer over at the Washingtonian, Great Washingtonian Magazine, who joins us in studio to help us get through the news of the day. Brittany, it's good to see you. Nice to see you, too. Good morning. Thanks. I can't believe it's already middle of September. Here yeah, we are. Right. Yeah, I know. 
right? Even dark in the morning now. Which I don't, please don't remind me. I'm clinging on to August with everything I have. <laughs> all right. Good to have you with us, and we'll jump right into it with all of you. Look forward to hearing from you, your comments on the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. But first, Peter's is the full court press. Just a couple of other stories making okay. news. So the Berlin Marathon happened over the weekend, Bill. Oh, I, I don't know damn if it, you, I missed it. I don't know if you <laughs> ran any marathons at all this summer. Uh, but it was a big, big deal because the winner was, I'm going to say this name once, Eliud Kipchoge from Kenya. He was the gold medalist at uh, the 2016 Olympics. Well, he won Whoa. in Berlin, and not only did he win, he set a new world record. He is the first person to finish a marathon. This blows my mind. Two hours and two minutes. No. Wow. Lowers the event's best, uh, the, the previous record, by 78 seconds, which is a big deal in the racing world, right? Like, oh, yeah. any just a, even just a fraction of a second mm-hmm. that you win is, is a big deal. But uh, almost a minute and a half there. Uh, so congratulations to the winner. Uh, the record was set in 2014 by Dennis Cometo, uh, also of Kenya. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. But new- marathon's a lot easier since they took the wall down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good point. <laughs> There's a new survey from Johns Hopkins University that says that more Americans are cutting back on their meat consumption. As a matter of fact, two-thirds of people that responded to this survey said that they are eating less meat, specifically red meat and processed meat. Uh, This was over the course of three years that they asked people this, and of course they noted that processed meat specifically is associated with heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and some uh, cancer. They said the two main reasons why they were doing it, number one, for health, number two, for money. Meat has just gotten so expensive, hmm. especially around the world, right? We still eat meat for pretty cheap here in America, which there, there are a lot of reasons why. Not all of them are good, but in other countries as well, right? Like meat is very expensive. So, you know, that's funny. I mean, for years, if I went out to dinner, right, it was martini and a steak. Yeah. Okay. I Washington, o- D.C. was built on that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I have not ordered a steak. For years now. I mean, it's just gotten away with it. Now the martinis still good. (laughs) Just a martini now. Martinis and a salad. (laughs) Martinis and a salad. (laughs) But fish or scallops or, you know, shrimp or something, but not red meat. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Yes, Paul Manafort. He was a guy that was going to stand up to Robert Mueller. He was never going to make a deal, right? Wrong. He made his deal on Friday, and we haven't heard a peep from Donald Trump ever since. What do you say? Hello, everybody. And welcome to the Bill Press Show on this Monday, September 17, 2018. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us uh, here on the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio in Capitol Hill, where we're, uh, we are joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, joining you on television, the great free speech TV nationwide and out in the greater Chicago area. 
We are there with you on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Some of you uh, may have caught me on uh, MSNBC uh, yesterday morning uh, and um, talking about, just another little reminder, gotten, uh, making, getting lots of attention to my new book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. You know, I call it the companion to Robert uh, to Bob Woodward's book. Bob Woodward documents the disarray in the White House. I document all the damage that Donald Trump has already done in his first 18 months. Uh, that's still going to take already take us decades to recover from it. Uh, check out our website at BillPressShow.com for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can find out uh, where you can get a copy of the book, um, wherever books are sold. But also, you can find, uh, you. well, here's the deal. Top 100 reasons, there are a lot more. There are a lot more than that. I tried to hold it to 100 reasons, but even since I turned this manuscript in, even since the book came out last week, there are more reasons to dump Trump. And we've got a special page on our website, BillPressShow.com, where you can add your reasons. Uh, and some of you put some great reasons up there. I'm going to add a few, a few more of my own today. I've been keeping my own list. So... Um, that, that makes it kind of an interactive book. We can continue to pile reasons on for dumping Don Trump. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com. We've gotten a lot of reasons uh, since you published the book. Omarosa was one of them that somebody brought up. I don't think you had time to include the Omarosa stuff in no. your book. Uh, people mentioned the Putin uh, summit that he had where he, you know, completely just handed things over to Russia. So, uh -huh. you know, there are a lot of different reasons that, that you can still add to the book. Uh, how about lying about the number of people killed in Puerto Rico as also a result that. of Hurricane Maria and then blaming Democrats for it? I yeah. mean, hell, there are a hundred uh, reasons in the last week. <laughs> right. Anyhow, check out the website, BillPressShow.com. And Brittany Shepard joins us in studio from the Washingtonian magazine. Uh, she covers all things uh, related here to... Uh, Washington, in fact, and to, to Washington, D.C. In fact, Brittany, you've been writing about the um, disarray in the White House. Yes, I have. It's and real. It is real, and it permeates every part of the White House, West Wing, East Wing, and the press room where I've been for the last year or so. Uh, and is it all a reflection of Donald Trump's style of governing or or, I, or, or what? I think it is a hard thing to reduce to just one specific problem. There's staffing problems, there's loyalty problems, there's messaging problems, there's lack of understanding of what actual policy is, what they're disseminating to the press, and then of course there is the way Donald Trump manages and governs, which is a bit uh, shoot from the hip, to put it that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> to, put it, to put it mildly, right. But how do they respond? Like when he says something so obviously out of kilter, right? So obviously divorced from reality as the fact that, no, the death toll was not 3,000. It was only 6 to 18 when I was down there. And anything more than that was just invented by Democrats to make me look bad. Now, not everybody who works in the White House is an idiot, right? I mean, there are a lot of people, there must be a lot of people there who know that that's just bonkers, right? There are competent people within the White House. Yeah. yeah. So what do they do with a situation like that? I mean, now, Kellyanne Conway is out there on Fox. We just saw her defending uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, there are some people who will go out and say anything. She's one of them, right? Mm -hmm. But what are, what are the people who have a 
maybe some self-respect <laughs> and a level of intelligence. Do they just ignore what Donald Trump says? Or I think it's difficult when you have a boss who can be erratic and go off script. Someone like Kellyanne will tell you that she's just doing her job. She's speaking on behalf of the president. She's counsel to the president, and she's making sure that his messaging is unilateral on all, in, all as as many news outlets as possible. But when you're a lower staffer and you have to figure out how to do crisis comms and control on the president, there's a bit of a pull between, I think, loyalty and responsibility. And that's been tough for a lot of staffers, and that's why there's been so much turnaround and so much ping-ponging between departments and agencies. And it's hard to dispute when you have a George Washington University study that is kind of indisputable. So it depends on, do I say nothing? Do I tweet? Do I try to work my office? There's lots of different ways that people try to counter the president's messaging. Well, some of them might be motivated by the fact that, well, it is a job, it is a paycheck, you know, and I got to pay my rent at the end of the month, um, pay for my kids' clothes or whatever. Um, We learned from the Woodward book first, maybe, that there might be some other motivation um, and that was confirmed by the op-ed in the New York Times that there are some people there, allegedly, mm-hmm. whose motivation is to save the country from Donald Trump. I mean, that they are, they go, they'll do anything to prevent his doing even more damage than he could, even, according to Bob Woodward, stealing documents from the president's desk so he couldn't sign them. And the author of the op-ed says... You know, that there's obviously more than one, right, that their mission is to is to undo some of the things that Donald Trump would like to do and prevent his doing them. So that they're like saving the country from Donald Trump. Um, first of all, do you think that's true? And if so, uh, is this the way government's supposed to work? Well, I don't know if there are like clubhouse meetings or the resistance within the West. That's East right. Ring. That's what he called it—the resistance inside the <laughs> yes, White House. Yes, yeah, right? yeah. I think the author said, I, "I am the resistance within the Trump administration." I'm not sure if there's like a little fraternity club in the bowling alley and executive office. However, but he did talk about unsung. <laughs> he or she talked about unsung heroes, mm-hmm. plural, right? Not yes. just one. I definitely think that there is a contingent of staffers, both on the senior, most senior level and the most junior level, who believe that they have a responsibility to the nation to work under Trump to blockade some of his more, in their mind, problematic policies and actions. You know, they can't untweet and unlink his account. So what are other things that they can do? They could be like, allegedly, Gary Cohn and pull things off his desk, or they can try to give misinformation or distract here when he might be looking there. So I definitely think think this is true. Is it how government ought to be run? Well, with Trump, there is no playbook anymore. There are no rules, right? So we are completely rewriting the new normal every single day. Back when I was in the press room every day, fielding questions from Sarah, we would change how that briefing would be. And now the briefing really isn't anymore. Yeah, but just don't have any briefings anymore. No, we had two, three in the last month. what I'm trying to say is that the goalposts keep moving. It's like Maggie Haberman said, reporting on smoke. It's so hard. So there's no more rules. There's no more normal. So it's hard to say if this is how government ought to be. You're inclined to say, well, probably not. But nothing with this White House is normal. Right. So um, are they still, I would imagine, uh, but uh, that they are, are they still trying to find out 
who wrote the op-ed and are they getting close? I'm not sure how close they are because names are being thrown out here, there, and everywhere. I'm at happy hours with other reporters and we're trying to guess and corroborate all oh, of our yeah. sources. Yeah. I mean, the president wants to head the administration. They, they want someone to point to and say, we found this leaker, we want them out. I mean, Anthony Scaramucci, that was his big tirade all 11 days that he was there. It was, we have to find the leakers. We need to make examples of them. And the president is known for making examples of people, good, bad, or otherwise. Who do you think are the prime suspects? So not anybody you know. It's not going to be a Mike Pence. It's not going to be a Nikki Haley. From my understanding that the author is someone who has been a lifelong bureaucrat in the ranks for a long time, close to Trump's orbit, but not someone that you or I might know talking over dinner. You, Right. So not a name, not no. a big name. No. I do not think it's a big name at all. Because I, I think that a big name wouldn't need to seek that kind of vindication in that way. Uh, I also think, the, I think we would know. If it was a big name, we would know by now already. Do you believe it's somebody who works in the West Wing? Yes, I think so. Well, that narrows it down. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not certain. I mean, I don't have all the answers. It's just a, a good yeah, feeling. Yeah, of the only, yeah, the only reason I challenge that a little bit is because, I mean, the New York Times went out on a limb here. Absolutely. Right, with this op-ed. Publishing it anonymously. And if it turns out that it's really some flunky that doesn't have a big job, mm -hmm. they identified as a senior administration official, which is a kind of a loose term, mm -hmm. but it implies that the person has some important responsibilities. If it turns out to be just somebody who's shuffling papers in the West Wing somewhere that nobody ever heard of. I think the New York Times would have a lot of egg on its face, right, rightfully so. And I sure. don't think, I don't think they would take that risk. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily an intern shredding papers, but I don't. I also don't think it's a name that would immediately conjure a face into many Americans' minds. Maybe you or me, because we are in that world more. But right. the average American, no. Okay. Um, well, uh, I thought we would find out by the end of last week. So I'm surprised it's taken this long. But, I, uh, I give it to the midterms. Do you? Mm -hmm. With this okay. Kavanaugh, just so much is, is happening now that op-ed writer might get put on the back burner for a little bit. <laughs> well, they do have some other priorities. Right, yeah. <laughs> just a, a couple. Yeah, like the Kavanaugh situation, <laughs> right. for sure. Yeah. And one other thing that they had to deal with that maybe they didn't expect to deal with that you've talked about uh, is um, – They've got this Trump hotel. Yes. I find this story wildly fascinating. So tell so that the the legitimacy or the legality of the Trump International Hotel right down here on Pennsylvania has been challenged. Yes, it has. And it sounds like the build up to a really weird stand up joke. It's like a bunch of clergymen two rabbis, three priests, and, and two lawyers. This is actually very serious. Walk into a bar. Walk, Walk into, into a bar, bar. Yeah, and then proceed to sue said bar. Uh, and they believe that because there is language in D.C. law where if you want to obtain a liquor license, you have to be of good standing. It's very loose. It could be good moral standing. It's it's more to good be a character, good right? character. Yeah. It's more to be applied to, okay, is the restaurant owner abusing their employees? Are they taking advantage of the law? Are they serving underage uh, diners? Uh, but it's, it's also vague enough to also maybe apply to owners who are of questionable 
ethical standards. I just have to say, and I mentioned this the first time around, there are plenty of reasons to dislike Donald Trump, but all of my favorite bars have questionable ethical standards. <laughs> so, like, I, I'm all for giving Donald Trump a headache, but, like, if we start purging bar owners because of their questionable ethical standards, um, all my favorite bars are going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what many other lawyers are saying who we, we spoke to at Washingtonians, that it sets a very questionable legal precedent if it went forward. However... ABRA, which is D.C.'s Alcohol Regulation Board, put a minor stop to it for now. So the complainant said, all right, we want Trump Hotel to get rid of their liquor license. Donald Trump is not a good person. He can, cannot hold a liquor license in good legal standing. Liquor Licensing Board says, well, it's kind of unusual to bring a complaint in the middle of holding a license. You can do it again in March and 2019. Everyone else's liquor license will come up. And if you want to bring this complaint to us again, you can, but for now, we're not going to hold a hearing. It's not our priority, which kneecapped efforts a bit to get rid of their liquor license. But it'd be a huge blow, not to not only to Trump personally, but to him financially. That bar makes a lot of money. They serve $120 cocktails that are purchased quite frequently. But they serve what? $120 cocktails. <laughs> get out of here. I am 100% serious. Even they're, even they're like, how big are they? Ah, martini glass size. What? Yes. What kind of gin or vodka? You know, I haven't purchased that one hundred twenty dollar no. Trump Hotel. Co- no, not yet. Bill, I'm can not I expense one of those? <laughs> I, I'll tell you even, one thing: we're not having our uh, staff Christmas party <laughs> at the Trump International you know, even, Hotel. Even their I mean, run of the never... mill. It sounds like that's they're using like a special liquor, but even their yeah. run of the mill. Cocktails are still like twenty dollars. Yeah, in the low to mid twenties. It's not a cheap bar, the Roosevelt Bar, I believe it's called, right there in the old post office lobby. So it would be a huge financial hit and just war. Like if you want a gin and tonic, it's going to cost you twenty bucks. Yes. No, really. That's yeah. Just how they roll there. Yeah. It's it's, it's obscene. Bud Light's at eight or nine dollars. <laughs> My crim- preferred beer of choice. Of it's course. criminal yeah. to charge that much for a Bud Light. Oh, correct. So this, what's interesting to me is so that, all right, for now, there's not going to be a hearing. Correct. But the, so the bar has been challenged because the owner of the bar uh, arguably is not in good character. Correct. Okay. Uh, but there's also there's another lawsuit that's moving um, brought by the district attorney of Washington, D.C. and the district attorney of Maryland against the, the Trump Hotel because it's taking – because it's using the president's name to steal business from other hotels and restaurants and everything in mm-hmm. in the Washington D.C. in the yeah, D.C. The, the, the area, downtown metro area, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that that lawsuit is also active, and that's moving forward. I don't know where it is right now, but waiting for another hearing, I guess. But I believe so. But yeah. but it is going through at least a summary judgment. The judge said, no, there's enough evidence to move forward with this case. The D.C. and Maryland have standing, mm-hmm. a legitimate standing to sue. So they're they're coming going after the bar on two fronts, if you will. Yeah. Or the hotel on two fronts. And I'm curious to see who else is, is going to like lob a complaint against the hotel. It seems to be more and more a target. And what I find interesting is whenever I'm there reporting, it's become this the only safe space for Trump admin folk and young staffers. So once that's threatened, I'm I'm curious where they're gonna go and they're gonna hang out when their safe space is taken away, which is, I guess, ironic. Oh, there's clearly enough spaces around Washington, (laughs) D.C. But you're you're saying, 
That's what they claim to be their only safe space. That, that's their that's their home. But don't you think there's another reason why they hang out there? Because Trump must know if they hang out there, right? I mean, they wouldn't want to be seen anywhere else. They want to be seen at that hotel. Exactly. People go there to be seen, to be spotted, to be put in playbook, to be tweeted about that they're there in their hotel spending money on his alcohol, on his wine, on his beer. So it definitely is a destination to be spotted at. Right. Um, Donald Trump, uh, not uh, uh, except in his book where he gives himself an A-plus for Puerto Rico. Mm. Most other people don't give him that high a mark for Puerto Rico. Not at all. Um, what about for Hurricane Florence? He's been obsessed with it, for sure. Yes. Actually, <laughs> I got woken up to... 35 tweets and retweets at 6 in the morning. Me too. Okay, yeah. all, I just have to say, you two are crazy for getting the tweets, the <laughs> notifications for when he tweets. It's I can't part of our do job. It. I know, I know. I get it. But I can't do it. I can't do it. It drove me crazy. I couldn't I go through them all. I was trying yeah. to count them, and it just they were endless this morning. He was retweeting anything that had to do with Florence. Yeah, it, if you, just, you didn't have to even tag him. It, just a keyword, yeah, and it was yeah. being retweeted. I don't even need alarm clocks anymore. I would wait to see how this week goes because we both have the Carolinas, we have Virginia, and we have D.C. and bunch. Of, and as this storm downgrades, I think people will still be affected, homes will still be destroyed, and his response completely remains to be seen. So I'm not so eager to throw out a grade yet, but I'm curious if he's learned from his mistakes uh, from Puerto Rico and from Texas though I'm not so sure that will be the case. Yeah. Um, you know, the, so the Washingtonian Magazine, which has been around for a long time, Yes, right, we have, yeah. It covers not just the White House and the Congress. I mean, it's much more than a political magazine. I mean, you cover the city of Washington. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Donald Trump is spending more time in Washington than I thought he would, actually. I thought he'd basically live at Trump Tower. But he has, I don't think he's been back there since and spent the night since he's been president. Now, he spends a lot of time at weekends at Mar-a-Lago yeah. or weekends up at Bedminster, New Jersey. But even more weekends than I expected here at the White House, I mean, in town. Mm -hmm. But he's very seldom seen around town. Right? I mean, he never goes anywhere other than the Trump Hotel. Excellent point. Yeah. It's right, so, right? Yeah, this is I actually mean, an observation that I've been trying to grapple with. That where do the Trumps hang out? Like, how do they function as part of D.C. society. They don't. And they don't, besides Jared and Ivanka, who try to get out more than everyone I'm else in the family. I'm not talking about them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but but. Yeah, the president and his wife, they are never seen out once. I don't see them out on the grounds whenever I'm on campus. I don't see them at any of the surrounding restaurants or bars or never at Old Ebbett or Hamilton. Or It's strictly mansion, office, mansion, office. It is quite bizarre. Mansion, mostly. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this, I guess, when I go down to the briefings, you know, the, the Marine is always standing outside the West Wing. Mm -hmm. And the last few times I've been there, the Marine was not outside the West Wing. And I was thinking, well, where is the president? I know he's here. Where's the Marine? Does he take a bathroom break <laughs> or kind of whatever? And I realized the Marine wasn't there because the president was on campus, but he was in the mansion, yeah. not in the Oval Office. And this was the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Right. So but but this, uh, you know, back to you know, George H.W. Bush had a favorite 
Chinese restaurant. He and Barbara used to go to all the time in Northern Virginia. The Peking, it was a Peking duck Peking place. Gourmet, yes. yeah. Peking yeah. gourmet, yeah. Which is sensational, by the yeah, way. Yeah, by the way, yeah. Carol and I went there a couple of times. It is really. And George H. George W. and 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 Laura Bush were were seen around town. You know, so we know Barack and Bill Bill Clinton was everywhere, yeah. right, with Hillary. Barack and Michelle often went out to local restaurants. I think they Donald took it to Trump, a whole new level. The they did. Yeah. They took it to they a whole new level. Really and they really there. discovered new restaurants and exciting. Right, they, were, they were there, you know. And uh, Donald Trump, never. So he's, he's like in this. Now, I noticed tonight he's going out to a private residence, a meeting with supporters. But that is so unusual, so rare. that he would, And it's not – I understand why. They don't say where he's going. Right. It's just – Event destination is what's on the schedule Usually Calorama or Georgetown. He's been a couple times. I want to say under once. five. Yeah, once. Once yeah. that I know of to yeah. Borden, Boyden Gray's house. And they'll have dinner and they'll talk about donations and that'll be that. But he's never popping out for lunch at Taylor like President Obama and Joe Biden used to do. So it definitely is a new normal. So the, the, the days when, um, which we heard about where Georgetown was uh, the place – where you know, the president would hang out for dinners there, mm-hmm. right? Or cabinet members, and was coming. Those days would come and gone. Yeah, at least as long as Donald Trump's in the White House. Yeah, I, you're not going to see him, you know, eating steak on the Capitol Hill or at Bourbon or at the Hamilton. It's the days of wining and dining with the administration are less frequent, especially because now when they're going out, they feel threatened because people are yelling at them at restaurants. That's been a sticking point, too, that Sarah Sanders is saying, well, now I have to have bodyguards because I can't eat dinner. And Kristen Nielsen's getting yelled at uh, out of MXDC, and we covered that extensively at the magazine. Is Now there's this, oh, well, people aren't being civil to me, so I, just, I shouldn't deign to go out and eat with my family. Yeah, gee, but um, Michelle Obama was at San Lorenzo restaurant last week uh, for dinner, and um, when she got up, with her friends to leave the restaurant, the entire restaurant stood up and applauded. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder why the difference <clears throat> between the reception <laughs> received between the two of those. The other thing is that um, you may have looked at too is with these midterm elections, Republicans really want to run on the economy, mm-hmm. and overall, it's it, the economy is pretty good shape. I mean a lot of reasons why it's not as, as good as it may look. But they, Republicans find, and there have been several stories about this lately, that they can't really run on the economy because Donald Trump keeps getting in their way. Yeah. By saying stupid stuff that they have to talk about. Yeah, it's really interesting that Republicans now have to choose that they're just going to become Trumpies and hitch themselves to his wagon wherever that wagon rolls, wheels on or wheels off. Or if they're going to be principled conservatives, so to speak, and only stick to policy. But that's so difficult when they have to answer to reporters and their bases, which are increasingly moving towards Trump rhetoric and Trump supporter rhetoric. So it's like, which one do you choose? Or you just bow out and you retire, which is what you're well, seeing happening. Yeah. I mean, uh, there a lot of retirements on the, Repu- on the Republican side, particularly, particularly in the House mm-hmm. and a couple of big ones in the, in the Senate as well. No, you're right. And they, they either, like something comes up like we talked about earlier with Donald Trump in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. they either ignore it or um, 
or they have to try to say something about it without being too critical. But again, they'd rather be talking about anything other than that. Right. But Trump dominates the news, uh, dominates the Twitter Twitter world, and uh, and that's what reporters ask him about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so, setting he's setting the entire agenda. Keeps us all busy. Yeah, yes. we're never bored. <laughs> At the Washingtonian, the Washingtonian magazine. It's Washingtonian dot com. Uh, even if you uh, don't live in Washington D.C., there's lots of good stuff there you ought to check out. And the work of Brittany Shepard covering the White House. Thanks, Brittany, for coming in. Thank you so much for having me on. Always good to see you. And when we come back, he is the chief, emphasize, the chief Washington correspondent. Among all the rest of them, he's the chief for the great New York Times, Carl Hulse. He'll be right here joining us. Quick break. We'll be right back here on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we go to Monday, September 17, uh, wrapping up on this Monday. Great to have you with us today. As we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, those uh, great active members of the AFT under President Randy Weingarten. They have uh, brought uh, the state legislatures to their knees in uh, West Virginia and uh, now in Arizona, making a big difference in our classrooms every day and in the state capitals every day. We salute them, thank them for the support of the uh, program, and welcome to the studio from the uh, great New York Times. We've got a big bureau here in Washington, D.C., but the chief Washington correspondent <laughs> is Carl Hulse, a good friend and neighbor here on Capitol Hill. Hello, Carl. Good to see you. Good morning. Closest studio to my house. Is that, well, that's, yeah. uh, we want to make it convenient <laughs> for you. Right, indeed. Two blocks. Uh, two blocks. So, um... I'm going to start on a personal level here. Um, I just read, I'm going to interview him tonight at the nearby Hill Center, uh, your colleague Mark Leibovich, sure. his new book called... I'm, I'm throwing his book party on Friday. So you are? Yes. Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Stop by. I'll tell you the uh, details later. Okay. Very good. <laughs> uh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, and in reading, by the way, I love the book, enjoyed the book. I'm not a football fan. I hate professional football. I like the book. Well, then, yeah, that tells you how the book is then. And he loves professional football, but he also says a lot of, he says enough in the book that you'll want to hate it too. Yeah. But anyhow, in the uh, acknowledgments, he acknowledges many friends, uh, including you. He identifies Carl Hulse, singer, songwriter. What the hell is that? Well, uh, as you know, I'm in a band here in the neighborhood, the Native oh. Makers, where you know some of the people who are in the band, uh, Paul Woodholm. Mm-hmm. And for his last <laughs> book party, we actually wrote a song about this town. I think the hook his was something His last book was like your ta- uh, this ta- uh, this this town, town. This town, this town. Which is a, a Washington a thing. A great you know, book about go, oh, this town, Washington, right? yeah. And I think the hook was something like, this town, this town, this town will bring you down or something like that. So yeah, I, I wrote a song for Mark's last book. We're a little rushed this time. We may just play a bunch of NFL music. <laughs> <laughs> the fight songs from different... Or maybe the, uh, the NFL... Uh, you know the old, oh. the series. Yeah, uh, I like the, the old the Frozen Tundra. Yeah, the, the old John Facenda <laughs> yeah, tapes. Exactly. The Frozen Tundra <laughs> exactly. of Lambeau Field. Uh, but he, the autumn wind. He got uh, inside those uh, ownership suites and laid out some of their dirty laundry. No, he did. And uh, he can really write, actually. Mark. Uh, uh, I got to tell you, the uh, owners come across 
That's the biggest bunch of a-holes in the world, basically. You know, I mean, all of them, professional except sports, for Dan Rooney, who yeah. died. But Professional you know. sports owners, you know, we have this tendency, I think, to mythologize them. And uh, then when you find out that they got lucky in business and basically bought this as a, uh, you know, as what's the, what's the term for it? Uh, an ego, a vanity oh, purchase. And then they yeah, want to run yeah. all these things and they're not geniuses. I mean, you know, we have some fairly... Uh, not great ownership organizations right here in D.C. So, yeah, I, 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 I have not read it. I didn't even know I was in the acknowledgments, but I look forward to it. But, and also, the, the owners come across, I mean, look, the, so, yeah, they're self-made millionaires perhaps, but then we taxpayers buy, build these stadiums right. for them, right. and then they make billions and billions of dollars, treat their players like crap, treat their friends like crap, you know, and well, then, and then there was an interesting thing yesterday. Uh, the the Redskins finally dropped this uh, idea that they're sold out every game and had an actual accounting of the fans there yesterday, and I think it was under 60,000, which is pretty amazing for a stadium yeah. that used to be built to hold 90,000. And now there's talk about you know building a new football stadium at the RFK site here right by in our neighborhood, in our neighborhood. obviously. And, you know, I'm sure that we'll be asked to pay for that. But people people love their football. And But the thing about the Redskins, I think that's interesting, that used to be the big unifying sports franchise in this area. So they had a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, with the Nats and the Caps winning the Stanley Cup, it's not quite the same for the Redskins. So I'm not so sure there's going to be a huge uh, taxpayer interest in paying for a new Redskins stadium, especially when the restaurants in town are paying – a big chunk of the Nats stadium, you know, and I like going down there and we can walk from here. Yeah. But no. uh, and it's a great stadium. But Love it, it. it, you know, but people uh, at some point are probably, and they have in some places put their foot down and said, we're not doing this. Why should we yeah. pay for that? So let's get to the news of the day. It looked like it was sailing right along and Chuck Grassley was going to rush through a vote this week on the, on the judiciary committee on Brett Kavanaugh and then on the floor next week. And it was going to all be over before uh, the midterms. Uh, and then this letter drops like a bombshell uh, over the weekend where the uh, not only um, what was coming into the weekend, there was an anonymous letter submitted by Donald by Diane Feinstein rather to the Justice Department. Now we know what the letter says, who wrote it. Does this derail the Kavanaugh nomination? Is it still grease lightning? Uh, I don't think it derails it. It definitely removes some of the grease from the lightning. This is this is a pretty big story. And. Uh, you know, as I even wrote in Sunday's New York Times, I said, this is out there, it's 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 significant, but unless the woman comes forward, no one thinks this is going to upset the apple cart. And we didn't expect her to come forward, either did the senators. No one, everyone thought that she was pretty committed to remaining uh, anonymous. And, you know, as she had been for the all, right, and all not, summer. Not to blame her because look what's happened in the last 24 hours. I, you know, yeah. now she's a huge public figure and every part of her life is going to be dissected. So, Can, look, I'll just interrupt you. So, because her name is Christine Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna Cabrera from uh, CNN yesterday. Uh, I haven't actually seen physically the letter. I thought they, they didn't, they but, had the text of it. It looked okay. like it was read to them. Uh-huh. They but didn't have the letter. She read out loud. Right. CNN got the letter. She read out loud the the meat of the letter, if you will. Mm-hmm. Let's just listen to it just to put this in context. Okay. Brett Kavanaugh physically and sexually assaulted me during high school in the early 1980s. He conducted these acts with the assistance 
of Redacted. Both were one or two years older than me and students at a local private school. The assault occurred in a suburban Maryland area home at a gathering that included me and four others. Kavanaugh physically pushed me into a bedroom as I was headed for a bathroom up a short stairwell from the living room. They locked the door and played loud music, precluding any successful attempt to yell for help. Kavanaugh was on top of me while laughing with Redacted, who periodically jumped onto Kavanaugh. They both laughed as Kavanaugh tried to disrobe me in their highly inebriated state. With Kavanaugh's hand over my mouth, I feared he may inadvertently kill me. Pretty chilling uh, testimony on her part. She now, again, Christine Ford, through her attorney this morning, uh, told CNN that she is willing to come to Washington and testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. That changes things. Yeah, I think it? that's the big question now is what forum does her uh, testimony take? The Republicans... Uh, yesterday, and they, like I said, they were caught off guard by this. They thought that they were going to be able to just continue to treat it as an anonymous accusation. So their first reaction yesterday was, well, let's have some Judiciary Committee staff have a conference call with her. And I think the first cut at that was just Republican Judiciary Committee staff. Mm -hmm. And then it was bipartisan <laughs> Judiciary Committee staff. And then it was like, well, then other members started to come out and say, we need to do more than that. The question to me now is, do they reopen the hearing, which would be very Clarence Thomas-like? That's Clarence Thomas uh, reduction. Right. Or do they send uh, staffers, two lawyers from each, lawyer from each side, out to California to interview her? Or is there enough pressure to reconvene a hearing, which would be a fairly significant move? Because then you're back in the hearing. You don't know what's going to happen at that point. I think the Republicans will resist that. But there's going to be pressure on them to do this. This has gotten now away from them a little bit. They hit firm, firm control. Right. Uh, could Jeff Flake, one senator, um, put enough pressure on them that they would have to hold a public hearing? Uh, yeah, I think that the Flake is part of it. But I really think Susan Collins, who I talked to last night, by the way, uh, is the is still remains the crucial person here. What did she tell with, you last with night? With Lisa Murkowski. She wants this. Uh, and it's in today's time story. She wants uh, this woman, she says the allegations have to be treated seriously and there needs to be a forum for this woman to uh, air her account. Now, whether or not, what what uh, direction that forum takes, I don't know. But the, uh, you know, if they have to be able to satisfy, the Republicans have to be able to satisfy Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and quite truthfully, the other Republican women, I think, that they are doing what needs to be done here. On the Democratic side, I think that this changes the equation quite a bit because you had some Democrats who were, uh, you know, Heidi Heidkamp, Joe Donnelly, Joe Manchin, look like they're probably going to vote for Kavanaugh. I think, you know, this changes the thinking for them dramatically. Uh, there's, they there's have really of, something they could hang their hat on. There's plenty of huh? reasons, you know, it's a little bit of a, to be politically crass, a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card on this one, right? There's plenty of reasons that they could not vote for him. So now you really have the Republicans. They have to have all their votes. And I think, you know, I think you're seeing from the White House today, you know, fairly calm reaction. I don't think we've seen a Trump tweet. I think that they know that they can't step in this right now and anger these Republican women and drive them away. I think but it's also, real tricky. 
Wouldn't it be, in a sense, the worst thing in the world for Donald Trump, given who he is and given his history, to be out there defending Brett Kavanaugh on a charge of sexual assault? Yeah, I think that that's, I'm sure that they've told the president not to do anything about this. I'm sure that Don McGahn, the White House counsel who picked uh, Kavanaugh and is firmly behind him, is trying to do whatever he can to keep things calm over there. However, that doesn't mean he can do it. I mean, we've seen this before. Oh, right. But I think uh, some sort of explosive or inflammatory Trump tweet here could really set things off. Um, now, you've been around Washington a lot longer than I have. I wasn't here in the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill days. I actually got married here that weekend. So it's very, <laughs> it's a very big memory in our family and all the people who were at the wedding call that the Clarence Thomas weekend wedding. So. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so remind me, wasn't the, in effect, the Clarence Thomas hearings over too when Anita yes, they Hill were. surfaced? Yes, it was. In fact, his and, hearings had gone pretty, pretty well. Right. And uh, when this came out, and then, as I recall, bar- from a, my California distance, right. Barbara Boxer and others marched, marched over, to, if you the famous picture of them marching yeah, across yeah, the right. plaza to demand a hearing. Because the Democrats were running the committee at that time. I think there was a Joe guy Biden. named Joe Biden mm-hmm. who was the chair of that committee. And the... Uh, There's a, we all turn off our cell phones when we come in the studio, usually. <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> I, I, I thought I did, actually. There you go. Sorry about right. that. That's right. I'm sure that uh, someone at work is... Going, what are we going to write today about, uh, yeah, about right. this? <laughs> Tell them you call them back. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Joe Biden then, as chair, uh, again, uh, Democrats he, he, in charge. Under they, pressure. He under had pressure, to he come back and, had to reopen the hearings right. and hold a special hearing for Anita Hill. And yeah. and you know, even then, they the great history of this is that they didn't handle it very well, and Saturday Night Live skewered them, and uh, Thomas was ultimately confirmed, even though the Judiciary Committee, uh, I think, was split on him. And, you know, another, I always think about these things as politics. One of the reasons that happened, too, was that there were some Southern Democrats who were uh, nervous about alienating African-American voters. So he, you know, Thomas got the votes that he needed. We're in a different era Mm -hmm. right now. I think that, you know, back then, and she, this was, that was a totally different situation. He was an administrator at a federal agency uh, and had done this, and there was corroborating evidence. On they were adults. adults. He was an adult. Yeah, it was totally, right. it was a different situation, but it also a very similar situation. So, you know, we'll ha- have to see what happens. I think these next few days are going to be uh, pretty interesting for the Republicans. Is there any... Uh, Possibility that the White House would withdraw his nomination? I, I, I don't, not right now, uh, but I think that I, I, I do see two outcomes, right? He either gets confirmed or his nomination's withdrawn. I don't see this, you know, if it looks like he's going to lose, I think they would probably pull back. You know, he's a sitting judge on the second most important court in the mm-hmm. country, and mm-hmm. I don't know how far they want to go in having a negative vote on that. Right. Uh, but the uh, I don't I don't I think right now the White House is intent on going through. I think that for Judge you, Kavanaugh, his problem in some ways is that uh, he has denied this ever happened. He hasn't denied. Right. He doesn't say he doesn't remember. He said it unequivocally never happened and he never did anything like that in high school. The other guy who was there with him has said he doesn't recollect this. Those are you know, you get the distinction there. So. Uh, and, and and Kavanaugh's 
uh, candor, credibility, honesty were already called into question in the hearing on some other uh, points. So it's it's sort of a test right now of his credibility and honesty. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. If he came forward, this is all speculation, of course, but if he came forward and said, if his response had been, look, I was 18, I was drunk, you know, I mean, this was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah, I mean, it was fun and you know. games. I just don't remember it. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> and I and I'm sorry it ever happened. I, and it was wrong then. It's wrong now. Whatever. But I mean, he could maybe. Yeah, get, he did. He did not say that. He could maybe get by with that, right? <clears throat> right. But he didn't say that. No, he didn't say and that. And he but. actually, I think Senator Collins also said to CNN that he denied it to her. They had a phone call Friday before all this, but she was finishing up. She had some questions about. So what does she tell you? Again, I'm keep about, coming back to this phone call no, well, last night. Has she is is she honestly not made up her mind? Yeah, I think that's true. I would say that. Uh, the what she said last night though was that part of the reason that she's troubled by this is the way the Democrats handled it. I know because right. by sitting on this, <clears throat> they've now thrown it into question both whether they believe the woman to begin with or uh, Kavanaugh. So that's her point is. By the by in the handling of it, they've they've uh, sort of raised issues about the credibility of both people late in the game. So do you do you believe Senator Feinstein mishandled it by keeping it? Well, it's not me anonymous. to judge the actions of senators, but the although I do it all the time. So <laughs> yeah, right, for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it was weird. It, it was strange. I don't. I kind of don't understand it that. Okay, so you have some, and and her her defense is that she was uh, protecting the anonymity of this person. Well, there are still ways to do that and get this and be able to question Kavanaugh. There was a lot of venues to raise this with Kavanaugh, uh, you know, privately between her and him, privately in a closed committee session. So I do think that it's that it's it's made this more difficult. Right. Um, final question on this is that I saw someone um, somewhere this morning and he used the phrase flakes revenge <laughs> that this could give Jeff Flake um, I mean he has said this is serious I'm not ready to vote until we give her hear her side of the story or something like that yeah I think so that- he could use that because Donald Trump has not been kind to Jeff Flake and Jeff Flake has not necessarily been kind to Donald Trump Jeff Flake is in the driver's seat right now, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, and he's a guy of real personal integrity, I and mean, Jeff Flake is. And, you know, he's got uh, a bunch of kids, and I think this is the kind of thing. Now, Jeff Flake has talked tough about Trump, but has also voted. <laughs> Absolutely. F- with yeah, with right, Trump. And right. he certainly has voted for all these judges that, right. you know, even though, cause even yeah. though he's got issues, he, he likes the judges. You know, he likes Brett Kavanaugh's record. But he was already a little nervous about Brett Kavanaugh on the executive power aspect. He had raised some questions, but he was probably, you know, he was going to go along with this. But yeah. now, uh, you know, but Bob Corker is also out there, too. And but saying, Corker well, has we said, need, I think he's, we'd like to hear more, we, but we, we, we should not delay the vote, I think. Yeah, and that, but, you know, Lindsey these, Graham things, has these said, things are all, yeah, Lindsey Graham also said, well, we should hear from her to compare her story against all the other information we have yeah. about Brett Kavanaugh, which, of course, is that he's a girls' basketball coach and right. 70 women or 65 women who knew him back in high school uh, you know, say he was a great guy. So then you get into this balancing act. 
I'm not even sure, you know, this is going to be a difficult thing. There doesn't seem to be a, a clear-cut answer. But it's also a super-moving target. Everybody's position is nudging a little bit in the different direction the longer it goes on. These things take on a life of their own. I have seen it not just in Clarence Thomas, but a lot of judiciary hearings and a lot of nomination hearings in general. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the real stuff doesn't come out to the end when the pressure is really on. Carl Hulse is with us from the New York Times, nytimes.com. Speaking of a moving target, um, just a, there's not a lot of time left, but I've got to ask you about the Paul Manafort plea deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a guy Donald Trump praised as a standing tall, standing strong, unlike all the rest of these guys who caved in, right? And we don't like leakers, and we don't like squealers, and we don't like flippers. And now Paul Manafort's one of them. We haven't heard from Donald Trump since... Uh, about Paul Manafort yeah. since it happened. It's sort of like the Kavanaugh thing. There's a, a, another aspect where Trump hasn't really tweeted, and I think that people are, are warning him that you got to be careful here. A tweet could really change the dynamic. I don't know what Paul Manafort knows. I guess he would know quite a bit about that uh, meeting in, in Trump for, Tower. For sure. Uh, he was there. Yeah, right. So that's one area. Uh, I think that— He might know— who called it, why they called it, and who, whether Donald Trump daddy right. knew before or— Beforehand, right. So I do think that that is, seems to be the area of greatest vulnerability for Trump with uh, Manafort. You know, I just look at Paul Manafort and think, what a story, you know, to go from where he was to looking at, what, 10 years in prison now under a, under a deal, 10 years, which is a pretty significant sentence. Yeah. And— uh, you know he's 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 gonna talk, and I, I but I think there's a bigger story about Manafort too. It's lobbying in Washington in general, and there's other people well, I, I was, who are going to be dragged no, into this. I was going to ask you about that, but first of all, from your paper yesterday mm-hmm. morning, welcome to or Saturday, Friday, Sunday or Saturday, welcome to the President's Rat Pack. It points out that Paul Manafort, as part of his plea deal with uh, Robert Mueller, he has agreed to cooperate quote fully truthfully, completely, and forthrightly regarding any and all matters the special counsel Robert Mueller wants him to. That's a pretty broad portfolio, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. And they, and they have the pressure on him. You know, this is the leverage. It's like he'll right. have to cooperate before the sentencing So anything about all these meetings, yeah. any possible contacts, I mean... I'm sure that there's a lot of people who worked with Paul Manafort over the years who are quite nervous right now. You know, just lobbying. The Foreign Agent Registration Act is a thing in Washington. This is where people work for some sort of uh, not too savory foreign characters for big money. That's where a lot of money can be made because the people, you know, with bad reputations or bad governments, they have to pay more to get represented in Washington. There's a lot of people who who cashed in on this, and well, I, now they're probably nervous. I was thinking back to uh, James Carville's uh, famous statement um, Back in the Paula Jones days, you right? You drag a, a dollar or a hundred dollars or whatever through yeah. a trailer park, right? And yeah, you, you drag five hundred thousand dollars through a lobbying office. That that reminds <laughs> me. You drag five hundred thousand dollars through a la- in Washington yeah. D.C. There are a lot of lobbyists who are going to come running after it, yeah, right? No, As we discovered, right? Republican and Democrat. Yeah. It's a it's one of the dirty little secrets of Washington and. The FARA Act has not really been enforced very well, and people foreign very, agent yeah, registration, registration act, act and yeah. very few. There's been a few, but not many. And now everybody who's probably functioned under that is going, "Uh oh, look out!" And did I ever do business with Paul Manafort? And a lot of people have done business right. with him. 
Yeah, he was, uh, he was able to pick up a lot of people along the way. Uh, you know. It's easy money. Right. Uh, is it ever going to change? Uh, you know, these kind of crises and uh, incidents do have a tendency to make to get some changes, you know, maybe put some more teeth in it, maybe enforce it a little harder, make some examples of people, and folks will get a little nervous about it. Drain uh, the swamp. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we swampy. also found out as part of this that um, the Manafort lawyers, defense lawyers, and the Trump defense lawyers had some kind of an ongoing mutual defense agreement. Right. But I think that's over now. Oh, I think it's the, over big and, time. Yeah, but and but there there had been a couple of those during this that are also all null and void. So you know it's it's one of those situations where there was an agreement at the beginning, and then as things got heated, of course it fell. Apart. Well, the question is, could there been a pardon discussed as part of that mutual defense? I think Rudy Giuliani has said repeatedly there hasn't been, but I'm you know what's the. <laughs> I have no idea. There's a lot of ways to discuss. Mr. Hulse, do you want me to believe anything Rudy Giuliani (laughs) says? There's a lot of winks that can go on here. And I think that was, is that a pardon? Is it a discussing a pardon when you say stay strong on tweet? I mean, on Twitter? Yeah, it probably is, actually. I think that there were a lot of, there were a lot of hand signals. There's something implied, yeah. Chief Washington correspondent for the New York Times and noted singer and songwriter, at least on Capitol Hill, noted as a singer and songwriter. (laughs) Hey, Carl, it's great to see you. Thanks Thanks. Thanks so much for coming in. My neighbor, our neighbor here. (laughs) Hey, folks, that's it for Monday. Have a great, great Monday. Enjoy the most, make the most of it and come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.